Howdy y'all, Zach Carell here with the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast. And tonight I have the Buckeye Classic winner, Ryan Parker, man. How's it going? Good. How are you doing, Zach? Oh, pretty good. Now I know Billy, uh, he did an interview with you at the event. And so I know there's probably a lot of information that's going to be relayed in that. He's, um, I'm going to post that recording right after this one. So we'll kind of go into your season. I know you said you've been pretty hardcore fishing the Buckeye Trail for two years now. And <laughs> you've done pretty good, man. You've, you've had some top finishes. And um, you've, like you said, you've come up behind Skidmore a little bit there at Rocky Fork. And uh, you've done a really good job this year. But I know they released the standings for the Buckeye Classic, which anybody that's listening that doesn't know, they moved that last minute, like the night before. Buckeye Lake had a terrible algae boom. Um, to my understanding, there was two inches of visibility. Um, Chris Hannigan was, I guess, like you said, Ryan, he was sending pic- pictures of dead beavers to people. And that's how nasty that lake was this weekend, or this past weekend. There was no, there was no escaping it at Buckeye Lake. I, I think I, I kind of heard through the grapevine at some point that of the 16 or 17 anglers that pre-fished Buckeye, I think out of all of us over the course of a week, seven bass were caught. Oh, wow. Yeah, so in the circumstances like that, it's definitely a wise decision, decision to move. And I, I even heard, uh, well, they moved it to um, Rush Creek which I've never actually fished that lake before. And uh, I guess that threw everybody off guard because everybody was pre-fishing Buckeye. But then they moved it to a completely different lake. And I noticed that when I was watching the tournament, there really wasn't a whole lot of bass being caught that day. Uh, no, it, it turned out to be a, be a tough lake also. I think the lake was kind of in mid-turnover, which just and, – and that, you know, that coming right off of another cold front – uh, I think just really kind of gave the bass lockjaw. Oh, completely understandable, man. There's a lot of lakes that are going through the turnover right now. Um, East Fork's got a big kill-off. When there's a big fish kill-off going on right now, I guess there's carp and crappie and bass uh, littering the banks down there oh, wow. uh, near the dam. So I've seen some pictures on uh, Facebook the past week or so, and Looks pretty nasty, man. I know that that lake had a lot of problems with fertilizer in the past. A lot of fertilizer gets into that lake, and that seems like every few years that lake will turn over and they'll have a big kill. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a bummer to hear. Oh no, no doubt. So before we get into your interview, I'm going to just go over the top ten people that uh, participated. Well, let's go over the top five. So we have uh, you, number one, Ryan Parker. Uh, Charlie Gibson was uh, right behind you um, at number two. Uh, you got Sean Skidmore was at number three. Fourth place, we had Chris Hannigan. And um, five is D. Cornelius. Uh, what's his first name? Do you know? I, I don't know. Okay, okay. So uh, he was at, I mean, he just came fifth place, one with 28 inches. Um, you came in at um, 43.50, 40, or 43.5. Uh, Charlie was right behind you at 42 and a quarter. And then Sean Skidmore and Chris Hannigan, these guys usually put up a lot of big bass. And Skidmore came in at 32 and a quarter, and Hannigan came in at 29 and a quarter. So, that, yeah, that's definitely a tough day of fishing. 
Um, there was a few guys at Goose Egg. A few people caught only one fish during the day. So definitely a tough tournament, man. That was that was tough. And congratulations again for figuring out a bite and coming out on top, man. Thank you. It's uh, it's it's still a little bit surreal, but uh, and it was definitely definitely a grind. Oh, it looks like it. So no, you told me earlier before our interview that you have done Buckeye the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail uh, for two years now, and you've been um, you've fished most events. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I think it was three years ago I did two or three online events. I had just heard about it. It was late in, late in the trail um, season three years ago. I did a couple just to kind of kind of dip my feet in the water and see how I liked it. I decided that this was something I wanted to do. So last year I kind of made the commitment like, okay, I'm going to fish this many in persons and this many online. And then this year – I, I kind of uh, went all in. Oh, yeah. It looks like it, man. So you fished every event this year? Just about. I, I missed uh, East West Harbor um, and, and a couple other ones. Oh, uh, East West Harbor. That was my favorite one this year, that and Raccoon Creek. I have been I have been itching to get up to East West Harbor. I still haven't been. Uh, and Raccoon Creek, that was uh, – that was one, I think I only posted one fish, one scoreable bass on the board at Raccoon Creek, but I had an absolute blast at that tournament. Yeah, yeah, the the partying and stuff, you know, the hanging out and the, the, night, the night before and after the tournament, that's what made that really special. And uh, the, the lakes and the creeks down there are beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of the first in-person event that you've really been able to, like, choose lakes or rivers or creeks and a handful of them in an area and that was that was kind of cool to me because it just everybody has their strengths and and it you know you could kind of pick and choose where you thought you would do the best at definitely yeah that's pretty genius i think and uh the outfitters is uh top notch man they fed us the whole time and uh, we had a communal fire. It was a lot of fun. And um, just like you said, creek fishermen, the river fishermen, they had creeks and rivers to fish in. The lake guys had their, their pick of lakes. I mean, there's a little bit of everything for everybody. And um, really an opportunity for anybody to show some skill. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, the hospitality second to none down there. Oh, 100%. So what got you into kayak fishing? Um, I've actually been, it's kind of funny. I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time with a fly rod in my hand before I started really targeting bass. Um, before I had a kayak, I was always donning a pair of waders and you'd find me out in the Creek someplace chasing smallies or trout on a fly. Um, and I kind of got, I was, I, I lived, near, you know, in Columbus, so I'm nearby Allen Creek Reservoir, and I was like, man, I, and a handful of rivers around here have muskie in them, and I was like, man, I really like to get a muskie on a fly, and I, and so I started chasing muskie on a fly, got a kayak so I could go out on the reservoir, and then I, you know, a, a buddy of mine that I was working with at the time, he's a big bass fisherman, and just to kind of keep up with him, I picked up a, you know, another spinning rod and a couple bait casters and kind of just fell in love with kayak bass fishing. Oh, wow. What was your first kayak? Uh, Jackson Kilroy. 
Oh, okay. So you got a fly fisherman turned kayak fisherman. That's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, how long was it before you decided to do tournaments? Um, I I think I'd had that. I think it was like the second year I had the boat. I kind of caught wind of of the Buckeye kayak fishing trail, and uh, again I, I decided like, okay, let me try a couple of these online ones. That that seems like a little bit less stress, lower pressure. Um, and decided that it was something I really enjoyed doing. Oh, wow. What made you uh, stick with the Buckeye Trail for two years? Uh, the people that I started meeting on the trail and talking to, uh, mostly the camaraderie of the anglers on the trail, uh, and everything that I've learned from them over the last few years has been, uh, it, again, I, I don't, really come from a bass fishing background so my learning curve i started at the bottom and i've had to learn all this stuff over the last couple of years um and the willingness of, of other anglers on the trail to share information techniques things to try stuff like that kind of kept me coming back oh 100 percent uh the community with the buckeye kayak fishing trail is just phenomenal man that's probably my favorite part of it is just all the anglers yeah, uh, I love the in-person events. I try to camp for as many as as I can, just because I enjoy kind of sitting around a campfire and and maybe sharing a beer and just talking fishing with with everybody that I've met on the trail. Man, that's what it's all about, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love yeah. fishing. I love hanging around, talking fishing. It's it's great, man, and a great trail too. Um, I know I'm on the committee for 2020, so uh, we're gonna make it top notch again next year, man. Hope to see you out there. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm absolutely looking forward to it, man. So, say there's somebody listening to this podcast, which I'm sure there is, and they're kind of a newbie. They're thinking about getting into kayak fishing. They're thinking about trying a Buckeye Trail event. Um, what's some general advice you would give a newbie? maybe that want that's wanting to try fishing an in-person event or just an online event? Um, I think the biggest advice I could give them is, you know, you don't have to have the fanciest gear, the fanciest kayak, you know, uh, whatever gets you off the bank. And, and I think most importantly, and I've had, I've, I've learned this lesson over this, this year spe- specifically, those days you kind of start getting frustrated. Maybe you're not, you're not getting bit. You just kind of got to remind yourself, just go fishing because that's, that's what you're here to do. You know, if it's not fun, then, you know, you're, you're stressing out too much about catching a fish. Uh, just go fishing is, is probably the biggest advice I could give anybody, you know, giving it a shot. And aside from just try it, uh, you, you might be surprised at, at uh, how well you do. And, and more importantly, the, the stuff that you're going to learn um, by just talking to people afterwards is is helpful in general in, in just growing as an angler. Well, wow, that's a great answer, man. Yeah, and anybody listening that's considering fishing the Buckeye Trail next year, man, come out and fish with us. We're all cool. You know, uh, we're a lot of laid back guys where, you know, people help you out. Um, it's a good opportunity for you to make a lot of friends. And I know we even word a lot of our, um, tournaments as events. So don't think of it as like a major, every event's like a major tournament, you know, it's more of a, 
it's more for fun sometimes, you know what I mean? And even if you don't win, you don't come in the top 10 or so, there's awesome raffles at every event. And you can usually come home with something that's worth, you know, more than what you paid into the tournament for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if, if I added, added anything to that, I'd say, uh, you know, even if you didn't win, sometimes you might meet somebody who becomes, you know, one of your best fishing buddies that you didn't know live five minutes down the road from you. That's true. Uh, I, that, I actually met some guys this year. Sorry to interrupt you. I met yeah. some guys this year, and we all got to talking at the tournament, um, uh, Christian and Tuck, and uh, they all live right down the road from me. Like, we all live real close together. Uh, we all fish a lot of the same lakes, and I've never known about them guys if it wasn't for Buckeye. You know? Yeah, I, I, I've gotten to know those guys this year. As a matter of fact, they're in Columbus uh, for the next couple of days for some job training stuff. So I might go meet up with them here after we do the interview. Oh, super nice guys, man. Uh, definitely go out and do some fishing with them. Um, that's amazing, man. So what was your, um, some of your better finishes this year? Um, Rocky fork. I, I came in second. Uh, and that was, that was another day that was just a grind. And I, I learned a, I learned a lesson in persistence during that tournament because it didn't happen for me and, until I think the last 45 minutes of fishing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in the last, I think it was like the last hour, 45 minutes, I hit two 16 and a half and like a 19 and a quarter. Uh, and wow. the, I think I had five bites all day. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I was actually fishing the Rocky Fork event, too. Uh, I, I remember seeing you at the pizza place. We were at the um, – where uh, we were at the weigh-in. Um, yeah, that was a rough tournament. I had a friend of mine that fished that tournament, and he goose-egged. And I ended up catching – I put, I think I put two bass on the board that day. I think one was a 13-and-a-half, and the other one was a t right on 12. Um but I remember it raining quite a bit that day, raining on and off, and it was still an early season um, tournament. It was kind of chilly there in the morning. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that was another one they'd moved, not last minute, but, you know, they definitely they moved that one because Paint Creek was completely closed uh, yeah. with all the rain we'd gotten. And, it was uh, up 16 foot, what I heard, and because Paint Creek's a flood control lake, so they'll hold all that water up on Paint Creek. And, oh, yeah. I, I, I remember driving by and seeing some of the places I've launched there in the past, and I was like, man, where's the parking lot? <laughs> <laughs> Completely gone. The road just ends in water. I guess this is the ramp, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. How'd you make it come together at Rocky Fork? What was um, I, I had I had pre-fished Rocky Fork the night the, uh, the day before, and I caught a couple bass um, just pulling a swim jig or a swim bait, just just crawling it over the top of the grass, just and you know and uh, tournament day weather was a little bit different, and uh, I caught my first fish quick, and then it was like five hours until my second bite. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I kept trying a couple different things, trying a couple different things. And by the last hour, I was like, OK, let me just go back to the one thing that was working for me, you know, yesterday. And that worked for me, you know, first thing in the morning. And next thing I know, 16 and a half, a couple minutes, you know, like 15, 20 minutes later, a 16 and a half and then a 19 and a quarter right after that. Oh, nice. Uh, 
So pull, dragging a swim jig. It, I think if I remember right, I think it was like there was an, because Rocky Fork was high too, and there was an area between where the grass started and where the bank was, and it was only like five or six feet until you hit the grass. And I threw that swim jig as close as I could to the bank and draw it out towards the grass. If nothing hit it by the time it got to the grass, I just pulled it in as fast as I could and threw it back. Oh, wow. So you didn't drag it over the grass and try to get another strike? Because I've had strikes right next to my kayak. I I have as well, and it just, it just for whatever reason, it just didn't seem to be the ticket. It was... It was almost like those fish were sitting on that inner inside edge of the grass, just waiting for something to come by or come towards the grass. Oh, wow. What brand and what color swim jig? Uh, that was, it was a bluegill pattern. Um, I think it was a three eight ounce straight king uh, swim jig. Okay, nice, man. Um, so you said you also placed pretty high in one of the river events, correct? Uh, the fall month long, I, I had a second place finish. Oh, wow, man. Um, so you fished quite a bit that month during that month long event. Um, believe Where'd it or you not, get lucky? <laughs> I, I've spent a lot of time on the rivers, um, in and around central Ohio in back into even into my fly fishing days. I mean, if I had a half hour to kill after work or on, on a lunch break or whatever, I'd be on the river. Um, so I've got, I've got a few spots around town and then, you know, through meeting other kayak guys, I've learned some other spots and, and then just my own exploration into places. Um, and predominantly I was drifting either very lightly weighted or weightless plastics most of the time for that, that month. But I think I only fished maybe. I don't maybe maybe 12 full days and then a handful of evenings through that whole month oh well that's a, that's quite a bit good job man and uh soft plastics like what type of soft plastics um a lot a lot of just stick baits yum dingers uh senkos tubes gotcha. this, I, I drift a lot of tubes and then uh if i'm going into like kind of lightly weighted stuff z-man school of sticks ned worms um and the Z crawls. Oh, nice. Where did you target most of your fish? I mean, you don't have to give away your honey holes, but uh, uh, the the biggest, my biggest fish for that tournament was a nineteen and three quarter, um, and most of the fish I caught were in the fastest water that I could find. Gotcha. So they were still in the fast water, man. That was September, right? Yeah, so it was, yeah. it was pretty warm all through September. We had a lot of 90-degree days, and I think the lakes and even the, the creeks and the rivers are almost like bath water. I think the the creeks and the rivers are a little cooler, but um, yeah, oh, yeah, it was a hot month. Yeah, I think we had one little cold snap in that month, and and I remember not catching much. I think I got a couple of them that couple decent fish during that little there was like a little cold front right at the beginning of the month and uh and they were they were out of that faster water into more of like a moderate current gotcha so going into the buckeye classic and they moved it to uh rush creek uh what was your basic strategy that morning and what did you do to bring that all together um i think i think i was joking a day or two earlier with dick nauta this is before the change so i'm still expecting buckeye lake and i think i told him at some point i was like my game plan is docks 
low expectations and high hopes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they changed the lake. And I was like, well, I've only ever fished Rush Creek one time. Uh, and it was definitely not the fall. Um, so I was I'm still relatively unfamiliar with the lake, but I knew time of year and that kind of, you know, typical migration that bass kind of make back into creek arms and channels and stuff like that. They start just following that bait fish back into the backs of creeks and stuff. Um, and I knew that from the launch, what is it? I think it's the, I don't know. You go left off the launch. I can't remember if it's east or west, but uh, there's a creek arm back there that uh, has a ton of standing timber, stumps, laydowns. There's a lot of wood back there. Um, and I kind of thought, uh, you know, like, let me get back into this creek and I'll just watch the sonar as I'm working my way out there and start. And, and I know at some point I'm going to just I'm going to see a lot, uh, a lot of bait just something i'm going to see something that indicates that there should be bass in this area and um it was about halfway back that creek arm and you just started seeing fish holding kind of all over the place and there was a lot going back in but they just didn't look like they looked like they were suspended or just fish that would be even harder to catch on a hard day um and uh it turned out I, I like the spot I started in. I thought it was about a two, two and a half to three foot deep little pocket. Um, it was really foggy that morning. I couldn't see. I start throwing a buzz bait. Sun comes up a little bit, and I can finally see. And I'm like, man, I've been fishing over six inches of water all morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I kind of pulled out of that pocket, um, and and just kind of started running this loop, and it kind of sharing all the timber with it. I think it was, uh, Alex Roberts, Sean Skidmore and Chris Hannigan. We were all back in the same area. Um, and just uh, all I could do was cover water. I think half my rods were tied up with about the slowest finesse baits I could think to fish. And the other half were all moving reaction baits. Uh, and I was thrown predominantly, um, a Rapala BX Brat six foot diving square bill and uh, one of Joe Fuller's Fireball Outdoor Products swim jigs for the longest time, just covering water, trying to trying to get a bite off of something. Um, and then I could slow down. Um, and I finally got I think I got my first bite around nine in the morning. Uh, and that was a 13 inch fish. And it came somewhere in the ballpark of like right around like seven feet of water. Um, I just, I hit, I hit a piece of wood standing timber and, and something grabbed it. Um, and it was right on the edge of the Creek channel swing back there. So I kind of, after that fish, it was like one fish can be a fluke or it can be the start of a pattern as slow as it's been today. I'm going to call it the start of a pattern. So I just started targeting, uh, standing timber that was adjacent to that creek channel right on the edge of it and and just kept trying to deflect a square bill off of it and uh i think i worked down around to the next creek channel i found one piece of wood ended up getting three fish off of it two of them were scorable i had my limit um wow 
that's the first that's the first and only time I checked the standings throughout the day was after I had my limit. I was like, okay, I have a limit. Let me see where this is how this is holding up today. Pretty surprised uh, to find that I was in first at that time. And uh, with my biggest fish, I think, was 14 inches at that point. Um, and I put my, I didn't check the standings the rest of the day. I put all the rest of my rods, you know, back in the holders in the crate. And I just kept that square bill in my hand for the entire rest of the day. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Working. Slow days like that. I mean, it's if if something's working, you just got to keep going with it. Uh, in oh, my, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. um, I broke the golden rule. I, I after those after I hit a limit, I I didn't have a bite for uh, I think it was about two 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 and a half hours something like that, and I broke the golden rule. I left fish to go find fish um, because I couldn't figure out how to adjust to where those fish had moved. Um, so I pushed back up another smaller section of that that same kind of creek arm. I knew that it had a bunch of standing timber too, and uh, hoped that nobody had figured out what I had figured out in the other section of it. Um, and as I'm working my way back, same thing, about nine feet of water. I, I think I saw it on the side imaging. Um, you know, a handful of stumps or or standing timber right on the edge of a creek channel in about nine feet of water and uh, started throwing that square build through there. And, uh, and then I got that 16 and a half. Wow. Nice. And that kept you in first place, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I, you know, th they made the announcement at the brewery and I still had no, at that point they'd taken the standings down when I caught that fish. So I was like, I mean, it's anybody's game. I feel like I don't have that good of a limit, you know, Although I have learned over the last two years, sometimes a, li a limit can carry you, you know, pretty far. Yeah, um, it's a tough bite, that's for sure. But I didn't think that, you know, that limit was enough for first place fishing, you know, fishing alongside of the caliber of anglers that were, you know, sharing that lake with me that day. Yeah, you're fishing against a lot of great anglers. I mean, the best of the best of the whole season, you know, everybody was at the Classic. Mm-hmm. And that was the Buckeye Classic, too, sponsored by Strictly Sail and Kayak there in Blue Ash, Ohio. And everybody listening, y'all can check them out at www.strictlysailinc.com. Uh, I heard they, uh, Brian Tacey supplied a lot of awesome stuff for the raffle there, too. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, especially, I think, I think he threw stuff in for... Um, you know, the classic raffle. And I think he threw stuff in for the, uh, the Yak Ohio multi-species raffle too. And, and yeah, there's a ton of great stuff there. Oh yeah, man. He, he's always good. He's a good guy, man. He always helps us out and donates a lot of stuff to our trail events. Um, and he has his own trail too, the Cincinnati kayak fishing trail. Um, you guys should find that on Facebook. They got a group. Um, they have, they run a nice trail too. I fish a lot of their events. Uh, same with the Buckeye trail. You know, going kind of going back to uh, anybody that's thinking about fishing the trail, if if I had one in-person event to recommend to you guys, it's it's a recurring event every year, the Cincinnati Lakes event. Um, yeah, that's a fun one. Strictly Sail put is is the sponsor for the trail and that event, and they do that big barbecue afterwards. It's a good time. 
Oh yeah, man. Coolers full of beer and uh, soda and water and hot dogs and hamburgers for all, man. It's always a lot of fun. The Cincinnati shotgun's definitely another one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome, man. So, uh, what kayak are you in right now? Uh, I am currently in a Bonafide SS 127. Ah, Bonafide guy. Gotcha. In the, in the new, in the, in the new limited edition Cool Hand Blue since they discontinued that color. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's awesome, man. So we, you know, we won't go into too much more. I know we probably got an hour, uh, interview with you and, um, with you and Billy, and I believe you guys probably went over some of the same things we went over. I just wanted to kind of cut touch base with you and, you know, talk about your season, you know, talk about why you fished the Buckeye Trail. And um, usually in these episodes, I ask every angler, what's a f- crazy fishing story you have? And it could be something funny. It could be something tragic, something scary. Uh, um, what's one you can think of you can tell us? Let me think about it. Oh, there's plenty. <laughs> Um, well, here's what, because I, I listened to the podcast, I, I know, I know you, you chase those turtles, Zach, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, my, my earliest memory fishing, uh, I think I was about five years old and, uh, my, my grandpa took me out. I think it's, I think this was my, as far as I know, this is the first time I ever went fishing as a kid. And, you know, he hands me, you know, the little Zebco 33 rod and reel combo. I think a whole bunch of us started on. And, uh, the very first thing I have, I, has, to my knowledge, the, the first thing that I ever caught was about a 20 pound snapping turtle. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and it, and it's, and it, it scared me to death at five years old. I didn't know yeah, what, they're pain. <laughs> I didn't know how to handle that. Uh, especially when you're that little. Yeah. Uh, but uh, somehow I'm still, I'm still hooked. I'm still fishing. Um, and, and I have, I've, I've never given it up. So I, apparently it didn't scare me that bad. Oh no. Oh, that's awesome. Man. I love that story. That's great. I actually didn't get to do too many, um, too many lines for turtles this year. Uh, I had some stuff coming up. My daughter, I'm a dad, you know, I got a two year old daughter. It's kind of yeah. hard to do stuff when you got a two year old daughter, you know, Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta gotta do the dad stuff. You gotta yeah, do the dad stuff. I'm, I'm I'm uh my wife and I still don't have any kids, so I, I I can fish quite a bit still as long as I can you know take care of keep, stuff around the house. <laughs> yeah, keep the wife happy. You know, finish the honey do list and absolutely get out there on the water when you can. Man, enjoy these years because you know having kids is great. <laughs> but it, it sucks away a lot of your time and a lot of your money. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I mean, I mean, at some point you got to know, you know, like, okay, they're they're one day they're going to, they're going to be old enough to be in a boat and maybe like to go fishing with me. And maybe I can go fishing more. That's like the hope I think is. Yeah. Well, then you take a child fishing and it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> you know, It's great to take it. Don't, you know, not saying not to take kids fishing, but uh, I support taking kids fishing 100%, but it, you're usually not going to do any fishing. Usually you're going to be retying lines. You're going to be dealing oh, yeah. with kids, oh, yeah. pulling the peanut butter sandwiches out to keep their mouths shut. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's definitely something else, man. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have any pro staffs or uh, sponsorships or any shout-outs? Uh, Fireball Outdoor Products. Uh, 
a new I, I I do believe Joe and Fireball Outdoors is a new uh, new He's trail a new sponsor for yeah, Buckeye. Yep, new trail sponsor. Um, so uh, that's that's the only one I have uh, at the moment. But man, Joe makes some some quality stuff. Wow, man, you might have some companies coming after you now since you once won the classic. Um, or, you know, you go out and talk to companies and tell them what you did. And a lot of times they'll send you some free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're advertising their gear, that's what they mainly want. You know, uh, somebody's going to promote their product. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to it. And, you know, if it's something I've, I've used a lot of gear over the last, you know, handful of years, especially, and there's, there's, a good handful of stuff that I, I that I I've, I've got a lot of confidence in and and, and and I I really believe in. So I mean, if if I can honestly back it up, I'm I'm all in. Oh yeah, it's always nice to have a discount <laughs> and get on them pro stabs. You know, even with 20 percent off, it helps. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna spend the money anyway, so I may as well get a little bit of a little bit of a break. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for coming off, uh, coming on. And for everybody listening, here is Billy's interview with Ryan right after the weigh-in at the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail, Buckeye Classic. The Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail is sponsored by Strictly Sail and Kayak, Whitewater Warehouse, Hobie Kayaking, Lakeside Pro Bass Shop, Outdoor Source, Raccoon Creek Outfitters, Yak Attack, Bending Branches Paddles, Yak Legion Podcast, Fireball Outdoors, TRCCovers.com, New Threads, Blue Rock Custom Tackle, Midwest Outdoor Experience, Buckeye Sportsman. They're also partnered with the Kayak Bass Fishing. Hey, so I'm here with Ryan Parker, who won the Classic. Where are we? Buckeye Lake Buckeye Brewery. Buckeye Lake Brewery. Yeah, I'm looking at your first place BKFT Classic invitation only trophy. Like, let's be honest, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still a little in shock. Yeah, I think back to the spring when the first tournament was Buckeye Lake. And it was windy and it was cold and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And now it's the fall and I'm sitting here with you. Take me back to the spring. Oddly enough and historically, I don't do well in the spring. I've learned a little bit since then. Buckeye Lake in the spring was kind of a crapshoot for me. I grew up on Indian Lake. You think I'd be comfortable on a shallow lake like this? I have a love-hate relationship with shallow lakes. It worked out in the spring, by, by the skin of my teeth, I feel like. It, it, I think mostly what I learned from that tournament in the spring was how far a limit can take you. Okay. Okay, so you um, say love-hate. What I love about a shallow lake is the predictability. Um, the canal lakes throughout the state of Ohio, there are docks everywhere. And we're not talking floating docks, we're talking docks with pilings some kind of dock posts all over those things. There is permanent structure everywhere. What I hate about it is they do tend to be muddy. Weather affects these, weather or small changes in anything affect these fish 
drastically. That's kind of the love-hate there. I love it because it's predictable in the sense that I know what to fish, but every small change that ever takes place on the lake, whether it be an algae bloom, um, rising, falling temperatures, barometer, whatever it might be, these fish are just affected, affected I think, more than fish elsewhere. They don't have these deep, really deep holes that they can run down into. They just kind of pull tight to things and hunker down, suspend, whatever it might be. They're just tough on shallow lakes. Um, Hey guys, this is a little editor note. Um, this is Billy here. I wouldn't typically cut into a podcast only two minutes in and interrupt Parker, but when we were recording it live, um, I was making some jokes about me not being invited to the classic, and I realized that over a podcast, my dry sense of humor, um, maybe the looks I was given to Parker, which made it clear that I was kidding. When I uh, went back and listened to it on audio, it made no sense, so uh, we're going to skip forward in the podcast a little bit and cut out some of my shenanigans so although i've added 30 or 40 seconds here i've saved you guys about three minutes of nonsense maybe if you get to know me better in the future i'll uh include that kind of stuff thanks and uh sorry and for the record i was not invited to the classic i did it again okay back to the podcast uh by 8 p.m the announcement was made on friday and it was there was an inquiry about it to uh, those that had the invite, and it turned out to be a unanimous, a unanimous decision to change the lake. There wasn't an alternative that was specified. It was, do you want to fish Buckeye Lake or do you want to change the lake? Yes or no. Not, do you want to go here, 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 here. It was, yes or no, Buckeye Lake or someplace else close by. It turned out to be a unanimous decision, and... I don't know about anybody else, but I was as soon as the decision was made that uh, for Rush Creek, I was back out pulling all my rods out of the out of the car, retying stuff, uh, preparing myself for a lake that I've only fished one other time in my life that I don't really know much about. Um, I, I think my game plan for Buckeye Lake was about the same as it was for Rush Creek, uh, which was low expectations and high hopes after the cold front. Uh, Okay, so the sun sets at like 6.50 p.m. You said you got the announcement at like 8 o'clock. So you're outside in the dark, retying... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm outside in the dark, retying stuff. Um, Maybe a couple rods I retied leaders on after I'd already retied new leaders on. At some point, my wife asked me, like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know, they're changing the lake last minute here. I I gotta figure something out. And, and honestly, I think reality, I was just nerves last night. And, and I mean, I set my alarm for 4.30 in the morning to get up. I woke up at 3 a.m. I turned my alarm off so it wouldn't go off and wake her up. Uh, let the dogs out, maybe retied a couple more lures, <laughs> and just decided that I was just going to go fishing today. How much time did you pre-fish Buckeye Lake? Um... I didn't have a lot of time during the week, but I made it out last Saturday, or or last weekend, rather, both days, and I probably put about 20 hours into pre-fishing Buckeye Lake, Um, and I had an area that that I knew fish lived, and I didn't want to touch that. I wanted to explore some different places on Buckeye, and I found Abbas, a lot of saw guy, but I I, I had a game plan put together with Buckeye Lake in mind. 
honestly, going into Rush Creek, it, it was more or less the same game plan. It was, uh, you know, half of my rods were tied up with um, moving baits of, of various types, and, and the other half were tied up with the slowest finesse presentations that I, that I can think of. Um, jigs, Ned rigs, um, and, and then the others were all square bill swim jigs, spinner baits, stuff like that. Stuff that I could bounce off of things and, and, and hopefully draw some kind of reaction from fish. So you, you're saying that when you were going into Buckeye Lake, you had some spots where you knew the fish were. And then when you pre-fished, did you purposely avoid those spots? Yes, I purposely avoided the spots that I, I, that I had found in the spring because of the spots they were and my familiarity with shallow canal lakes. You have to look at the lake as a whole and, and things are relative to a lake. Um, this, the places that I found in the spring were backwater canals that had emerging vegetation, docks lining banks, a lot of chunk rock banks, not quite full-on big boulder riprap, but good chunky rock banks along some of it. And I think most importantly, it had deep water relative to the lake. So the place that I found it, you know, the places that I found in the spring on Buckeye Lake, uh, max depth I think that I saw back in back in the area was around, you know, six or seven feet. Knowing that some of the deepest holes on Buckeye Lake only touch 12 feet, depending on the water level, six, seven feet is deep for this lake. This is a place that the fish can live year-round. They don't have to venture out far from this. There's, there's plenty of bait, plenty of cover, plenty of structure. Everything they need is back there. Um, so I, I didn't feel the need to go back and pre-fish that area. I wanted to look at similar areas elsewhere on the lake that maybe nobody else would you know, take the time to get to. And that, and that was kind of my, my strategy on Buckeye Lake, especially pre-fishing. And I did find a bass. Um, one, it was, it was a scorable bass. <laughs> How big was it? It was, it was 15 and a half. In today's tournament, that would have been pretty good. That, that would have helped quite yeah. a bit, I think, yeah. today in a big way. I mean, my, today my biggest fish was 16 and a half. I didn't know, I, I'm not one to check standings throughout a tournament. I, I'd rather just keep my head in the game and just, and just fish. Um, you know, the, the 30 seconds or whatever it takes me to check the standings, uh, you know, during a tournament is five or six more casts I might have been able to throw, or depending on what I'm throwing, I mean, maybe, maybe it's two or three, but you know, maybe upwards of five or six more casts, but I'd, I'd rather have a bait in the water than be messing around on my phone. I've heard you say that before, that you don't want to check the standings. How much of it is what you just said, the cast count, and then how much of it is like superstition and just... It's not so much superstition, not at all. Uh, Cast, well, cast count's important, especially, you know, on a day like today where it is colder weather and, and you are fishing for the bites that you can get. <laughs> um, it, it was slow, it was slow, it was tough, and every bite mattered. Um, so those five or six casts that I might be able to make by not checking standings, those five or six casts mean a whole lot. <laughs> okay, so well, let me stop you there because I woke up, I don't know, I went to bed last night, I woke up, the line in the water was like 7.30. I woke up at, I'm not going to say 10.30, because I don't want to make people think I wake up at 
let's assume I checked the standings at 10.30 and I saw that you were in first place with three fish and another angler had caught two fish and another angler had caught one. So there was like, was that three, four, six fish had been caught three hours into the tournament or something like that. Like, it, Ch- so you Charlie had, and Everett. But you had no idea. I might have looked once. Okay. <laughs> I might have looked once when I had a limit. I, I think oh. I, I think I, I think I checked the standings once I had a limit to see. Okay. How much? How much do I need to improve? Uh, which honestly is even a rarity for me. I, I don't check standings very often unless it's one of the longer, you know, multi-day online tournaments. In persons, I, I very rarely, if at all, check standings, um, and mostly because I'd rather have a bait in the water. I'd rather be actively fishing, and you know, secondly, it will, it, you know, it can get to you. Um, yeah. And I've always found myself to be the person that if I check standings and I realize like, ooh, I'm close, I start fishing too fast. And today was definitely a day you wanted to slow it down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Slow is the name of the game. The caveat is I caught all of my fish on a moving bait. However, it was about as slow as I could fish a square bell crankbait. I was throwing it on a five six one gear ratio reel and and moving it just enough that I could feel the wobble of the bait. Explain why that's important. Um different baits require different gear ratios, speeds of reel is is when you get into it, I mean, it's it's really tough to fish a buzz bait, something that you move very quickly over the top of the water with a five six one. I'm I'm not sure I could do it uh, without without just burning myself out in ten casts. Uh, you want something a little bit more high speed. It's a presentation thing, and and that's kind of what it boils down to. What it, what I knew going into this was we've had a lot of cold weather here recently, cooler weather. And uh, that cooler weather is going gonna, is gonna to affect the fish, you know. I mean, recently, right before last weekend, it was, I mean, we almost had a 30-degree temperature swing. Yeah. It was, what, almost 80 degrees, and then all of a sudden we had a high of 56. That is, you know, I mean, that's like hypothermic shock to fish all of a sudden. The water's not going to cool as quickly as the air does, but that big of a swing is, gonna, is going to affect the fish. Uh, and and overnight temperatures, you know, in, into the mid upper 30s is is absolutely going to continue to cool that water off. Fish are cold blooded; they need, you know, warmer water, sun to kind of operate and 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 be a little more active. And and the fish that I caught today, every single one, it's it's reminiscent of fish that I've caught in the middle of January. Um, in the places that I could catch fish that didn't have ice on them. You'd almost, if you didn't know better, you'd think you were snagged until it pulled back a little bit and then the fish just kind of turned over and you just winded it into the boat. Most of them just gave up with immediately or after like pulling one time. So, and that kind of became part of my strategy today was, God, if I felt like I maybe hung up on a twig or something coming over a laydown, well, I'm, I'm going to sweep and set the hook and hope it's a fish and not a twig. 
you just talked about mid-October being like January. It depends on the weather. Uh, Ohio's weather is kind of unpredictable when it comes to the fall. I've, I've had years in the past where all I had to do this time of year was pick my favorite top water lure. It didn't, matter, it didn't hardly matter what color, what style, and, and I would just throw it around stuff. And I couldn't keep fish off of it. Granted, those were years where it cooled down gradually through September into October and stuff like that. But, you know, you, you, you've got to factor in the environment, I think. Um, environmental factors, they're just, they're important to take into consideration. And especially to your strengths. Whatever techniques that you're, you're, you're confident in, that you're strong in. You know, today I, I felt like I was... I was out of my world. <laughs> I, I am more of a finesse Texas rig jig guy. Those, these are my strengths. I, I come from a fly fishing background. I, I fish a lot of weightless things. Today was pulling a crankbait. That just happened to be it. I've heard you talk about drop shot, swim bait, shaky head. Let's go back. Well, hold on. You so, better believe I tried dragging a worm today. <laughs> I know you. I know you did. I, I know you did. Okay. One of the other like regulars that are, um, you were talking to one of them, and the two of you were talking about square bill, crankbait, whatever. And in the fall, you look at a shad bite, you look at a bait fish bite, and that is going to be predominantly shad in the lakes that are that have high populations of of shad. Bass are looking to feed up. They're looking to feed up for winter. As soon as the weather gets a little cooler and temperatures drop and stuff like that you know these these fish are they're they're getting ready to be pretty dormant for a while basically pack in as many pack on as much weight and calories and stuff that they can before they're going to be just kind of hanging out for three four five you know three four months generally. so october 19th how does that change your strategy uh, just with the recent cold front that came through, I mean, usually these these fish are, are you know, after after we start getting into this cooler weather, um, they they feed extremely heavily and extremely aggressively. This being kind of the first really hard cold front that we've had, um, it it just they weren't they weren't quite ready for it, I think, um, and and it's going to take them a minute to kind of come come out of that like cold shock a little bit. And start feeding. Not that they're not feeding, just not as aggressively. You know, today was was one of those days where they would eat, but they weren't moving far to get it. <laughs> you know, if you had the choice of, of fast food joint one and fast food joint two, fast food joint one is, well, I can walk there in five minutes, and fast fast food joint two is a half mile down the road. I got kind of got to get in the car and drive there. They were only willing to walk <laughs> you darn near had to put it on their nose today <laughs> and um everybody i got was a reaction bite and they were pulled out um into, into they weren't deep by any means they weren't shallow the depth range that i found to to be the most effective for the technique that i was using was was seven to nine feet and i was fishing you know a square bill that only dived six feet Furthermore, I was fishing it on 15-pound fluorocarbon that generally only gets that square bill down around five, five and a half at best. Uh, so what I was looking for was structure in seven to nine feet. If something came up and I could knock that square bill off of something, 
that's where I found fish. I could drive a reaction bite from the fish that were hugged really tight to the cover in that seven to nine foot depth range, you know, by, by just slowly pulling that crankbait through there and just knocking it off of, generally speaking, wood. I think every bite I had today came off of wood. Anything I could deflect that crankbait off of, wood-wise, in about seven to nine feet seemed to be the key today. So you cast out, you start to reel in, you have the wood, you bounce it off or deflect off the wood. Why is that a thing with the fish? It's a reaction style bite. Basically, when, you, when you're knocking something off of the wood like that, I mean, it looks like a bait fish. It kind of acts like a bait fish. Um, when the, honestly, when the, when the water starts to cool off, shad start to have a weird, weird time swimming sometimes. Um, they they kind of act a little disoriented. And uh, a lot of times deflecting it off a piece of wood or, or rock or whatever type of hard cover that you've got, it, it sends that bait jerking in one, one way or the other. And, and it just looks like a, a stunned or wounded bait fish. And that bass, he, it might not be the hungriest fish in the world, but he has a split second to kind of decide whether he's going to eat that or let it go. I think when the water gets cold like that, you've either got to fish really slow or get the fish to react. You almost have to have to trick them into biting in, in so many ways. You've either got to leave something in front of their face for long enough that they get mad enough to eat it, or you have to give them this split-second decision to eat something or let it go. Hey, guys. So after about 30 minutes of recording, we took a quick break. And when we came back, I wanted to ask Ryan Parker about his name. Some people call him Ryan, and some people call him Parker. So uh, I wanted to dive into that just a little bit as just a way to break it up. And uh, for the record, um, I think we should all call him Parker. Welcome back to the podcast. So you're Ryan Parker, and your Marine buddy kept calling you Parker. Yeah. Tell me about uh, that. My first name's Ryan. Uh, I've been called Parker since I was like five years old. And of course, time in the service, uh, I've always been Parker. I mean, there are a lot of guys that, uh, back before the, the day and age of Facebook, there was a lot of guys that I served with that I only knew them by their last name. I met their parents and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I know Penland. Yeah, I know Ellison. And then their parents are like, you mean Cody and Jonathan? I was like, oh, those are their first names, huh? I guess that fits. But yeah, I've always been Parker. I'm Parker. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Whatever. I'm going to call you Parker from now on. Don't answer well to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so, you you live in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I'm well aware of where Buckeye Lake, Rush Creek, because I also live in Columbus. Did you camp out here, or did you wake up at home and drive out here? It's a close enough drive that I, I didn't feel the need to camp. I set my alarm for 4.30 in the morning. I woke up at 3 and decided, okay, I'm awake. I'm just going to get up and, I don't know, maybe go give a second thought to the lures that I tied on the night before and then retied on after the lake change. Hopefully use the restroom before I got to the lake, knowing that Rush Creek has no facilities. Uh, <laughs> uh, fortunately, there are woods you can run up into if you need to in a pinch, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I got up. I got up at three. Uh, let the dogs out. Made breakfast. Changed a couple batteries and some smoke alarms. And 
do a little bit of honey honey do list items. <laughs> you knock those out. Yeah. Was it, uh, what time did you get to Rush Creek? Um, I got to the ramp probably just right around 6.30. Um, right around 6.30, got everything put together on the water probably by about 6.45. Paddling to the only spot that I've ever caught a bass or some bass on Rush Creek. Uh, the one time I'd ever fished it. Sat there, shivering, cold. <laughs> what was the temperature? Uh, this morning, I'm not even sure what it was. It was it was chilly. It was chilly, and I thought I layered up well. Maybe I could have used another layer this morning. And and I held up on a little spot that I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I caught a fish here one time before, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of stumps and logs, and and it's probably about two and a half, three feet deep, and if stuff's running in here, maybe I can get a couple quick bites. Turned out I was in the wrong spot. It was about six inches deep where I was casting, and <laughs> there was plenty of stumps and logs, but <laughs> uh, certainly no bass in six inches of water that morning or this morning. I was throwing a, a shallow diving square bill, and it dug bottom immediately. Uh, it was really foggy this morning, uh, kind of where I was. You know, the early morning hours of light there, it was, you can't really see into the water and stuff like that. I could see a couple things sticking up, and I was like, okay, this is this still seems like a good place to start. And I knew that I had passed a good drop-off leading right up into this little pocket, and I had marked fish on it. And they were holding in a position that I was like, okay, if these fish are going to be active, they're probably going to move up possibly into shallower water. So I kind of want to just, it's almost like getting in a tree stand for hunting season or something. Like you don't want to get out there right before shooting light. You want to get up in your blind or in your stand with a little time to kill so you can let everything just settle. And hopefully by then you kind of just become part of the environment and you don't disturb these fish that might run up shallow to feed. Um, just like you don't want to disturb deer that are gonna run into a certain area you know, after coming out of the fields or something, you're, you're, you're basically trying to intersect these fish, anticipating their next move. And that's kind of what I was doing. The, the way that I kind of saw them stacked up a little bit, leading, leading right into this pocket, you know, this morning I, I, I knew the sun was, gonna, was rising over a certain way that, that was going to get a lot of light pretty, pretty early, pretty quick, that, that might lead to some quicker topwater bites or, or something that I can move a little bit quicker and, ho and hopefully fill in it quick. In the words of all uh, oh, that old crusty Knights Templar and, and Raider, or uh, what is it? No, that was Last Crusade. Well, I chose poorly. <laughs> I chose poorly <laughs> that morning uh, or in the, in the morning and, and uh, man, it was way too shallow. <laughs> turned out. Um, I, I quickly realized my mistake and moved out and, and, and started figuring, trying to figure something out. Started started moving around, you know, I'd see some fish over here, see some fish over here, see some structure here, see some structure there. So I started fishing shallow structure, down into deeper structure, uh, uh, until I got bit. Line in the water was 7.30. Yeah. You have a strategy, you're, you're there early, you let everything settle, so from 7.30 until... About... The I don't time know. you got... Yeah, that's Eight, what I'm going... Yeah, about 8.39. I don't know. I <laughs> I never look at the clock while I'm, when, I'm, when I'm fishing 
too much at all. I set alarms on my phones to let me know, or my phone to let me know when lines in is and and when fishing is over. I think it was around I think it was around 8:39 that I finally got bit. Did you? How many different spots were you in, and how many different times have you switched up your your lure? Predominantly, I fish one spot most of the day. Rick Klun has, if you've never heard about it, look it up. He has a way of dissecting creek arms in the fall into section, and it's it's a very efficient method to finding fish. And that's kind of my my approach to to the creek arm that I was in was are they at the mouth in the in the in the first section of the middle the second second section of the middle or are they all the way in the back of this creek arm the further i pushed back the less i noticed bait fish wise so i decided not to push all the way into the back of the creek arm i saw more activity and more signs of life kind of mid in the middle of the creek um, the creek arm that i was fishing and uh, i decided that this probably has a higher probability for me to find a limit. Um, and so when I finally got bit, um, I, and bait-wise, fall I'm searching. I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching. That, that is usually the first things, first types of lures I pick up. Something that moves, something that I can cover water with, whether it's a topwater you know, crankbait, uh, swim bait, swim jig, something that moves, something that moves. And I just fish these, you know, likely areas that may hold fish, whether it's a standing piece of timber, a lay down, um, you know, a, a grass line, which as far to my knowledge, there's not a whole lot of that on Rush Creek. In my history there of one other time fishing it, I, I, knew, I knew that it had stumps, standing timber, laydowns, stuff like that. So I focused on wood initially out of the gate. That's where my mind was. That's what I knew how to do. I found my first bite again, 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. The, the first bite that I actually got, I, I, I froze. <laughs> I, I was like, huh, I, I think that's a bite. <laughs> and then I just stopped reeling. I didn't set the hook or anything. <laughs> just stopped. It'd been so long since like you know, I'd, I'd thrown so many casts and, and nothing had hit anything. But, I, like, the first bite I think I actually got, I, I missed because I just didn't set the hook. I realized my mistake. I reeled that lure in quick, threw it right back out, and, I, and I'm fairly, I have to be fairly certain that that was the same fish that came back around and got it the second time. Um, I'm, I was going to ask that. If, I'm lucky. If you that, thought it was the same fish. I'm lucky. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and I'm lucky that that fish bit again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, how big was the first fish that you got? 13, 13 and a quarter, something like that. I can't remember exact sizes, but 13 to 13 and a quarter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it, that, that ended up being, you know, as the day progressed, that ended up being one of the fish that made my three fish limit so i'm glad that fish came back around for for a second chance <laughs> your second fish talk to me about like what you were throwing um the second one came on the same thing as the first one and and especially early i was rotating between um between a swim jig and 
uh, a square bill. The first one came on a square bill, and generally speaking, I can I can fish a swim jig, you know, very similarly that I can fish a square bill. I can deflect it off cover. I can, you know, and and with the with the big difference being that a, that a swim jig I can stop and I can let it fall after I deflect something. Um, it, it seemed that they just wanted that, you know, almost you know stun bait fish running into something that the square bill delivered. The second fish came came also on the square bill. Um, and after the first fish, I, I realized, okay, yeah, they are pulled up close to wood. And I realized from the first fish, I, you know, I looked at my sonar. I wanted to know, all right, what's the water temperature? What depth am I sitting in? And roughly what, you know, like, and I can gauge roughly what depth I was throwing in. Um, and it was a deep, a little bit of a deeper area that I, I caught the first one on. The second one, I, I think I realized from the first one that, okay, I need to look for wood that is either in or adjacent to slightly deeper water. We're going to call this the mid-level depth. I wasn't getting getting anything shallow, nothing really shallow at all. Um, that first one probably came out of about four feet of water. But it was very close to a little creek channel swing. And I was sitting in about seven and a half feet of water. And this thing came r probably around about right where it dropped off into, into seven and a half feet, six, six to seven and a half feet. Um, so the second bite, I started working the edge of the creek channel. There's a lot of stumps, a lot of standing timber, you know, a lot of wood structure just along this, this creek channel on this arm that uh, I decided, okay, I think that might, I might be on to something here. <laughs> might be on to something here by fishing wood that is adjacent to this creek channel. That's a gamble based on one fish because one fish can be a fluke or it can be the start of a pattern. It's, it's tough to say. And then I caught another one. It, it was 11 and a half inches, but it came from the area that I thought it might come from wood adjacent to the creek channel. I throw back to the same area. I was like, well, that's a cast worth making. I, I hit a couple pieces of wood in there, um, threw back in there, and I, I think I caught a 12 and a, 12 and a half inch. So there's, there's two on the board. My first three limit came very quickly. Uh, I think I got the first one around 839, and I, I had a limit probably by, by about 10 o'clock when I kind of figured out that this pattern of wood adjacent to a creek channel mid middle of the road back in a creek arm and then it just shut down i filled a limit had four bite well five bites I th i'm pretty sure that first one came back around for a second time but four fish three scoreable i had a limit man that was some <laughs> that was a little weight off the shoulders as far as the fishing was going, I was pretty happy just to have a limit. I was like, okay, I filled a limit at the very least. I can't say that I didn't fill a limit. You have your limit by 10.30, 11 o'clock? About 11 o'clock. Feeling I, pretty I, good. Feeling, feeling really good by 11 yeah. o'clock. Did you, when you um, had your limit, did you check the standings at that point? That's the only time that I checked the standings throughout the day. I caught that third fish. I submitted it. I'm, I'm not one to check standings, especially during an in-person event. I decided, I decided that 
Okay, it seems like it's kind of a tough day of fishing. Although all of a sudden I just hit some fish pretty quick here. Let me just see. Let me let me see if I made the right decision to come out this way. And I checked the standings and, and at that time I think I was the only person with a limit with uh, Charlie Gibson on my heels with two. And my limit wasn't great, you know. Like, I'm, yeah, I mean you had a... 13 and a 12. I had a 12 and a half, a 13, yeah. and, and like a 14 and a quarter yeah. or something I mean, like that. The 14 was for pretty good for where you're fishing, but the other two, like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that I could do better than all three of those fish. Yeah. You but know. then you found out that you were the only one catching fish. There were several other anglers around me, and, and I think I watched, uh, I watched Chris Hannigan catch a handful uh, they were just not scoreable. Yeah. I think I watched uh, Sean Skidmore catch a couple that weren't scoreable, maybe one that was. Um, and uh, Alex Roberts was also nearby. And, and it, as far as I could tell, I think we were all doing roughly the same stuff. For whatever reason, maybe I was just I just happened to bounce that crankbait off the, the, the right piece of wood at the right time. I have no idea what dictated me getting bit versus those guys but the people that i could see around me were catching some fish how big it's, is that creek rush creek i mean it's a decent sized lake it's you know one predominant boat ramp a couple other places you can put in but as far as the size of the lake goes it's you know i mean we're not talking allen creek hoover reservoir or anything like that right um <clears throat> So how but, many how many anglers were in the classic? I think it was sixteen. And then how many launched from the same place? I didn't get a chance to talk to everybody, but it seemed like a, the vast majority was at the main ramp. Uh, and from the people I talked to, it's Christian Hansel. He, he was one of the, yeah. the, the maybe the few, if not the only one, that decided to launch elsewhere which i don't know that it was not a bad game plan he launched on one of the county roads where he saw it ended here and then picked up on the other side you know you're back kind of in a creek arm already and you have a big hard road bed that used to run right right through there under the lake i mean i can't say that was a bad strategy either and i can't say i didn't think about think about launching there myself christian he's a good he's a good angler i forget where we were fishing atwood 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 uh, christian he threw that wacky rig he got big big bass there's something to be said about persistence he threw that persistence. wacky rig and he won the tournament because uh, I, I think talking to him after that he he said i threw that all day long i got three bites um eventually they they shut down the tourney eggs like, talk to me about what's going through your mind when you're you're not sure. I happen to pull out my phone. I, I hit that 16 and a half. Um, I, I broke the golden rule. I left fish to go find fish because nothing had happened for so long in the areas that I was finding fish or that I had found fish. And, and I couldn't quite figure out how to adjust to where those fish had maybe moved to or oriented themselves. So I decided, okay... We're getting later in the day here. There's a piece of this creek arm that branches out, and it's very similar to this. Let me go check back over there, just because I knew that it was similar. 
um, just to pass my one pass experience on this lake. And as I'm rounding the corner, I'm, I'm throwing that square bill still all day long. I mean, at this point, I've almost put all my rods, all of the rest of my rods behind me. This is the one thing that I know that I can get bit on at least a little bit today. Um, started pulling it across the laydown. It was a point the back side of it kind of dropped off into about five or six feet of water. And, and that lay down was just running right in, right into it. And uh, threw a few casts across it. And uh, about, I think it was like the third or fourth cast pulling that square bill across it, I hit the log and then it felt like I hung up in a branch. It just felt like a twig, something just got kind of got hung up on that square bill. But from, yeah, from the earlier fish, I kind of gathered they were very sluggish today, and uh, I decided I'd, I'd sweep, I'd set the hook, and, and sure enough, it pulled back a little bit. <laughs> um, and that ended up being a, a 16 and a half inch bass. That was my biggest of the day. You know, knocked off that 12 and a half, rounded out my limit um, for the rest of the day. Not, a, not an impressive limit by any means, but if I've learned anything from, you know, Atwood is, is, a, is a good example of that, and, and a handful of other tournaments are a good example of that, is just having three fish can go a really long way, whether you think it is or not. Um, whether they're 312s or 314s, you know, like that might go further than you think. Um, you might take every precaution not to make a mistake submitting fish, but doggone it, it's bound to happen at some point. <laughs> that you, maybe your hand was up underneath the gill plate just a sliver of an inch, you know, or, or somehow all five of your identifiers in the photo are not legible, and whatever, log every fish that you, you know, because at least you might have something to fall back on, because sometimes the limit goes a really long way. Talk to me about your kayak. I'm thinking about the Bonafide 107 with a motor. Tell me why Hobie or some of these other high-end kayaks are a better option or different option. Um, different option. The, I, I fish a 127. I fish Bonafide SS 127 um, currently. It's a heavy boat. It paddles well for a barge. Um, it's not the quickest boat in the world, but doggone it, it is stable. I think uh, I think a 107 with them. If you have the desire to put an electric motor on on a kayak, um, Bonafides are a great choice. When you don't need the motor, if you if you if you've if you've not not every single one of us has an expendable income that we can buy a boat specific to every situation. The Bonafide 107s are pretty maneuverable while maintaining a, a great deal of stability. Um, so to put a motor on one of those, or, or 127 for that matter, for, for the bigger flat water is, is probably a great choice. Um, I like the manual aspects of it, whether it be pedaling or paddling. Um, I don't really have much of a desire to go towards an electric motor. I feel like if, it, if, I, if I ever wanted to go to that route, I, I would just I just ditch the kayaks altogether. But coming from being a wading and bank angler into a kayak, uh, some of the places you can get a kayak into that people can't get even their John boat into. Well, I like those backwaters. Uh, I like them a lot. I like I like the exploration that that kayak angling kind of uh, facilitates. That uh, I don't want to leave the kayak world <laughs> at all, and 
I, I think for me, maybe in the future, the more competitive that I get with this, um, I've been thinking about moving over to a Hobie um, Pro Angler, especially for the bigger flat water stuff. And uh, I, I still have my first kayak, which was the Jackson Kilroy. It's a hell of a river boat. <laughs> my wife uses it when we go out on, you know, in between tournaments and on weekends and evenings and stuff like that. But um, the dogs fit in it well. So if you if you guys have dogs that love being on the boat, they can kind of be down inside of it. Um, Kilroy's a good option for that. They don't care much for the bona fide for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just my dogs. But <laughs> how big is the Jackson Kilroy? What's the length and the um, what is that? It's uh, 12 foot 4 inches, uh, but it's that kind of like hybrid, almost like kayak canoe thing. It's a sit inside. It, it has a decent weight capacity for the size and weight of the boat. I think that Jackson Kilroy comes in at like right around like 70 some odd pounds, you know, seat and all, which is in the realm of fishing kayaks, pretty pretty light, you know, versus the Bonafide that I think is like seat and everything pushing 90 something and and uh the fact that i keep 30 pounds of soft plastics up in the nose doesn't help the weight at all but <laughs> i see a lot of people upgrading their vehicle their trailer how much importance do you put on how you're gonna transport your kayak that's a good question i drive a beat up old 2003 Chevy Astro work van. I put a roof rack on the top so I could haul a boat. It is a means to get me from point A to point B and put and get a boat to a ramp. It's a little effort to uh, to car top the Bonafide, but I only have to do that twice a day if my plan my plan goes well, and I don't have to load it up midday and and, and switch spots. In a, in a big way and uh, some of the bigger boats especially with the flat backs are, are pretty uh, they're easily loadable on top of a, a very tall vehicle I, honestly the guys that I know that fish the trail I, I think I might have the tallest vehicle to car top on on the BKFT uh, <laughs> I remember last year's classic, and I, I warned people about the the very low clearance bridge uh, headed towards Paint Creek on the way down. Apparently, I was the only one with an issue <laughs> going under that. Uh, I can get the bona fide up there, no big deal. If you were uh, you're going to camp out with Parker, you're at the campsite. Just look for the white van with the blue bona fide on top of it. it. It's very well, distinguishable. <laughs> well, until until he has a Hobie, but maybe I can get a maybe I can get a uh, maybe I can get a good deal on the 127. Maybe we'll see. Be nice. Yeah, whatever. Next next question. <laughs> um, I noticed tonight that you are pro team for a company. Yeah, I'm a, a pro team member of uh, Fireball Outdoor Products, um, one of the new newest. Um, BKFT sponsors, born and bred right, right in Ohio. Uh, predominantly, uh, we're talking um, bladed jigs, swim jigs, and uh, 
you know, standard casting jigs, structure jigs, football jigs, stuff like that. Um, down into finesse heads at the moment, although, you know, there's uh, Fireball is looking to branch out into other realms of bass fishing um, predominantly. And uh, if you're looking for, for, for that type of stuff, pro staff, sponsorship, or, or anything, uh, <laughs> Yeah, first and foremost, just 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 be honest. Be a real person. Uh, it it goes a long way. <laughs> um, most you know, most of these sponsors are are they're you know, while yes, we you know I think they all want the next KVD or something like that. Like, man, you got to start somewhere, and and somebody who honestly truly believes in, in your product and understands the quality that is you know there would be happy more than happy to to have you represent something that you truly believe in and uh you know uh, I, the first time i met joe fuller with with fireball outdoor products um was after the columbus rivers again i am i'm i'm a finesse guy i'm a jig guy predominantly those are these are my strengths every store-bought jig up until this point I would rip skirts off I would hand tie things onto them I, I was modifying them I was, I was basically paying paying for a jig out of a box that I knew that I was gonna tear everything apart and make my own thing out of it because I, I just didn't think that the quality was there or the colors were right or whatever it was uh, well it's a whole bunch of that <laughs> it's, right. uh, I get picky about that stuff um, and then and then I met Joe and I saw the colors and the quality and everything is hand tied and the price point is I don't know 20 cents more than what I was paying for jigs out of a store that I was going to rip parts off of and then put more money into you know and I met Joe I started fishing his stuff and um yeah and I love him uh, the quality there is is tough to beat and if if you're anything like me, I mean, I like to I like to support a local guy. The big box guys get get plenty. He's here. He's here in Ohio. You know, he's like me. He he wanders around with a net in a river and and kicks crawdad kicks rocks until crawdads swim into that net. And he he looks at those colors. He looks at the bluegill that we catch. You know, whether it be a farm pond or you know. Allen Creek Reservoir, Kaiser Lake, doesn't matter where it is, you know, he, he looks at the colors of these things and matches these specific forage species as best he can <laughs> uh, to his swim jigs and, and, and his uh, jigs. And uh, we're, we don't live in Texas. We don't live in Florida. We don't live in these big bass states. Man, yeah, yes, there are big bass here. There are very few and far between. But man, Ohio, Ohio doesn't fish like Texas. It doesn't fish like Florida. It doesn't fish like Tennessee or Kentucky. It's its own little beast up here um, right. in our pocket of the Midwest. That uh, I saw a thing where they, they talked about KBF anglers from Ohio that qualified for a KBF tournament. And then when it becomes difficult for anglers in other parts of the country, they've noticed that the KBF qualifiers from Ohio kind of rise to the top yeah i <laughs> i understand that uh, yes. because i think that most of us are used to subpar bass fishing as is or overly pressured bass that when the bite gets tough we don't uh we don't pack it in we don't we don't call it quits we we, we you know 
like we just <laughs> we just dig our boots a little deeper into the you know deeper into the ground and we just grind it out harder than most what's the most amount of hours you fished uh tournaments are all eight hours so uh i i, I certainly um trump that with pre-fishing hours um uh, i think the longest i've ever spent pre-fishing somewhere somewhere in the ballpark of of 16 hours i'd say give or take and that's you know no no lunch break no i never got off the water I've been out fishing with you where I've been hungry and regretted not bringing more food or more water. Oh yeah, man, pack a lunch. Because I realized <laughs> that Parker will continue to fish. Pack a lunch. Um, yeah. I'm notorious for getting, for forgetting to eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is my nature. Stay it, right it's, there. It's not the right way by any means. Um, Probably should have packed the lunch. Probably should have packed the lunch. Probably should have packed the lunch. Because, packed the lunch. because okay. we're going to be out before we're going to watch the sun come up, and and we're going to get off the water after we watch it watch it set. So, right. Uh, sorry, bud. I brought a cliff bar, but I only brought one. I'll I'll split it with you. <laughs> Congratulations on first place. The classic is a big deal. You you won, and um, congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I might still be in a little bit of shock yeah. uh, from that. Uh, if there's anything that I learned from this year, this year's tournament trail in general was just be persistent and um, and, and just fish. <laughs> uh, it, it, I have I have to remind myself that a, a lot. You might get stressed out. You might get be, be getting hung up and frustrated. Just <laughs> just go fishing. <laughs> that's that's all it is. Just just go fish. If you're not having fun, don't do it. Um, because, it, you know, just go fishing. It, everything else is secondary, whether you win or lose. That's, that's kind of become my mantra for, for the better half of this, the, the latter half of this season, really, is, is those times when I do find myself getting a little stressed out or a little frustrated. It's, I, I just have to remind myself, like, dude, just go fishing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, there, um, there you have it. Uh, just go fishing. Just go fishing, man. Thank you, everyone. And, um, and Strictly Sail, Buckeye Lake Brewing, and I don't know, man. It was, it was a great year. So uh, thanks to everyone, and thanks for listening. hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Thanks.